Welcome to the Stanley Street Social Podcast presented by the TAC. The road belongs to us all. A big thank you to the TAC for being on board again this year for Season 5 of the Stanley Street Social Podcast and pushing that important message that we all do our bit, including cyclists, to make sure that we get to our destination in a safe manner. It's also great to have Matt back on board. Uh, They've just released their new glasses collaboration with 100% Glasses. If you want to check them out, make sure you head to map.cc as well as their entire range of elite cycling apparel. And it's exciting to announce that the Ride High Country are on board as sponsors for Season 5 of the Stanley Street Social Podcast. We ran a competition with them last year because they didn't think that you're a real rider until you've really conquered the Victorian Alps, which is amongst the Ride High Country. So we're super excited to have them on board as our official training partner for Season 5, the best training region within Victoria and one of the best training areas within Australia, uh, the Ride High Country. It's an exceptional place to ride if you haven't been there yet. Today's podcast uh, is with Max Gorn and Matt Keenan. We're talking about the Aussie summer and a little bit about the start of the year. Um, a little bit about what Max has been doing in the preseason, Keno as well, um, in his commentating career. So I hope you enjoy this episode. A big thank you to our podcast partners um, and thanks to everyone for listening in for the last five seasons. We look forward to another exciting year. Welcome back. Season five of the Stanley Street Social Podcast presented by the TAC. The robe belongs to us all. Uh it's good to be back at the back end of the Aussie summer with uh, Max Gorn. Welcome, Max. Thanks, Alex. I think this is what the fans have been asking for. No Campbell and more Keno and me. So Yeah. Well, <laughs> um, the, yeah, after, after the season four review, that's kind of what the, the board came up with. And also uh, Sunday when we we're supposed to record uh, Clash with Cambo's Tea Time down at uh, Royal Hobart. So we had to, he had to give it a miss. So yeah. I brought in the first reserve in Matt Keenan uh, after a, a big summer of commentating, half summer of commentating. Got through, got through the road nationals unscathed, and then came unstuck with a little COVID. Uh, DNF'd um, with two stages to go. It was a close yeah. contact with Anna Mears. Luckily, I was all negative, but I've been been juggling the commentary, Alex. I've been commentating tennis and cycling. And doing the tennis, I did the first week in Melbourne, the ATP and the WTA event. And then I did the first five days of the Australian Open. And, you know, it was my, you know how much I love tennis, but it was my first time commentating tennis. Obviously, I was a little bit nervous going in initially. And people have said to me, how hard is it? Well, there's two people on court instead of 186 in a bike race. You don't talk when the ball's in play. And then there's 25 seconds between points to talk. And you've got an expert who wants to analyze the point. Fantastic. It's the best value for money I've had on dollars per words ever. It was great. Who who were you in the box with? My first one was with Liz Smiley, uh, who from those of my generation, she was an absolute superstar of the 1980s. She had the famous chewing gum ad with Extra. She was great to commentate with. She was like the mum of the commentary group. And then I commentated for a little for a few matches with uh, Simon Ray, who was Nick Kyrgios's coach when Kiros made the quarterfinals at Wimbledon in about 2014. And for a few matches, he commentated holding a racket and he was playing shots to, to, to help him communicate what he was trying to get across. Uh, Roger Rashid was another one, an American uh, by the name of Jill Kravis I commentated with. Uh, Brad Stein, who was Jim Currier's coach for quite a while, and he's mad keen on cycling. And he discovered that I came from a, a cycling background. And the second match he and I commentated on, between, at every change of ends, he was asking me questions about cycling. It was fascinating. It was hilarious. It was great. And then, you know, he was, he was like, oh, I ride in a Monda. What do you ride? I said, I ride in a Monda. Is yours an SLR? I bet yours is an SLR. Mine's not an SLR. Is yours an SLR? He was just hilarious, this guy. He was great. Is this the uh, beginning of the diversification of Kino's commentary expertise? Can we see, will we see maybe round one next year commenting, commentating on the Ds? No, you won't see me commentating on the football. But tennis? Oh, I'd love to keep doing it. Depends on whether it clashes or not next year with the with the cycling when hopefully we're not impacted by COVID and those international restrictions. But it was it was fun. It was really good fun to do. How do you, how do you become like a part of the inner sanctum of the tennis commentary world? 
Well, I'd pestered them for four years and then that was that's step number one, Max. I was a pest for about four years and actually this year I'd given up and I figured, oh, well, I've sent them showreels, I've called them, I've gone in to meet with them, I've gone to visit them as many times as I can, I've put myself underneath their nose and then this year I didn't bother. I thought, well, they don't want me and then I got a call a couple of weeks before Christmas, so I had a spot open up and they gave me an opportunity. So obviously I, I jumped at it. So the real message in that is to give up. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't don't, it? don't try too hard. <laughs> I love that, Max. <laughs> how's uh, yeah, how's preseason coming along, Max? Uh, yeah, it's going, it's going well. Um, it's been a little bit of a grind this year because of the heat. Uh, we've had sort of two weeks of over 30 degree every single training session. So um it's getting us uh but um i was just telling you guys off here before it is a little bit of a different feel doing a pre-season knowing that you're at the top end um currently obviously we all start even round one um and whether if we're the same team we were last year we'll get beat so we've got to improve um but it is a little bit of a different feel knowing that um, what you dished up last year and what you did in pre-season last year does work it makes it, it makes running laps a whole lot more easier <laughs> sure it so does. it's like a pretty similar schedule Pretty similar schedule. Um, no, uh, no camps this year. Although some teams have managed to get away for a camp, but we've had no camp um, with the COVID climate, and we got a shorter preseason. Being the premiers, you sort of come back a little bit later. Um, so we're just down at Casey Fields, just plug up, just plugging away. Um, we have a, a North Melbourne practice match Feb twenty four, which means preseason ends in a week or two, which I'm really excited for. And confidence wise, pressure wise, like. How's how's the feeling compared to previous years? Uh, yeah, going on that on that initial point that we have to improve. Um, so we're all out there trying our best to make sure we get the most out of ourselves. Because um, if we are the same demons uh, of 2021, no doubt uh, teams have worked that out and we'll get beat. So it, it, it's a marvel when you look at Hawthorne and Richmond going on three peats and four peats. Um, how good and how and how amazing that mm. is. Um, so that's something we're striving to do and um, hopefully with a little bit of expectation on us this year rather than last year, we'll come in from ninth this year. We're trying to back go back to back. So there's a little bit more expectation and pretty much, I mean, you two would agree, if we don't win it this year, it's almost seen as a fail. So um, you've got to do the only yeah. spot we can come is first. Yeah, I don't know if it, yeah, I don't know if it's seen as a fail, but I get what you're saying. But it also confirms the old cliche, Max, in sport that it's it's hard to get to the top it's even harder to stay at the top. Yeah, and I, I, I thought that this year at about round nine. Um, we were nine and zero. And I remember taking stock on what we've done in the first third of the season. I, I couldn't believe it's just a third of the way through and that, we, <laughs> and that we could still miss finals. And like pretty much everything we've done really means nothing apart from sitting in a nice position on the ladder. So it's amazing how hard the season is to stay on top. And then obviously the season that comes after it, the four weeks of finals, you got to perform in that as well. Yeah. Yeah, it's huge. So teams will be out. So uh, uh, opposing teams will be able to pick you apart based off what you did in the finals. Yeah, pretty much. I, I, I'd say, and that would be uh, me for the last twelve years. You do watch the finals teams and see what they dish out. And finals is where your real game plan stands up. Um, and we were able to show ours to all seventeen teams that were watching. So um, that seems to be the best way to win the game at the moment. And everyone copies the premiers of the year before. Um, a lot of our game plans come from Richmond. So mm. I'm presuming there'll be a mix of Melbourne and Richmond and a lot of teams next year. But also the sides that come close, like Port Adelaide, play very different to us. And they just had a, a bit of a lapse in the prelim final against the Doggies. And Doggies could have easily won. And then they play extremely different to us. So there, there, there still is a few different ways to skin the cat. But mm. um, I, I think a few teams would be looking, looking, looking at us, which puts a bit of expectation and pressure on, on us, no doubt. I love this podcast, Alex. We're here to talk about psych. And so far, we've done tennis. We've done football. Yeah. I suggest that with the Winter Olympics underway on Friday, we touch on the moguls. Yeah. <laughs> it's um, it's a pity, yeah, for anyone that isn't a D supporter because I am a D supporter. So yeah. it, it's Alex is asking all these of, questions purely out of self-interest. It's a part of, yeah. It's, it's, the, it's the real reason I run the podcast is that mm. I get to talk to the captain um, mm. once a month. Max, so like one more question on the football stuff. Yep. So if you... Is it all technical or is there a physical part to it? I'm just thinking back to like cycling, like a, a people analyzing what Pog did last year from a tactical perspective or is it all just horsepower for them? 
Uh, well, certainly we have this, um, the guru in Darren Burgess who's now moved on. But um, when all people talk about what's changed in Melbourne in the last two or three years, Darren Burgess is something that's changed in Melbourne in the last two or three years. So the physical aspect will definitely be looked into by other clubs and also now by us, now that we don't have him, how we can mm. um, sort of copy or emulate uh, what we just did. We, we do have the next best thing, the guy who worked under Darren Burgess. Um, so he's come in and he's, to be fair, he's gone bang. I've been running me, running me ass off, um, which is good. That's, it's almost what you need as premiers is a guy to come in and go, well, I wasn't here last year. So you're going to do it my way. And uh, we've been, we've been training our ass off. So to be fair, a lot of it is what we do out in the field. But um, I, I, I think we set 2021 up at the start of the year in the preseason last 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 year. So there's a lot to do at this at this time of the year as well. The, the famous old saying is we're going to run with two of them early on, Kino, but um, you can't win it in February and January, but you definitely can lose it. Yeah, and it's easier to maintain form than it is to chase form. Correct. Just, you know, when somebody wins Paris-Nice or they win the Tour Down Under or they win one of those early season races and they say, oh, they've peaked too soon. You look at Richie's best years or Cadell's best years, Wiggins when he won the Tour de France, Froome when he's won the Tour de France, they've all performed well in February and March. It's yep. easier to maintain form and build it than it is to be behind the eight ball at the start of the year and try and chase it. And then there's Pog that just maintains it from January to December. Oh, he's <laughs> unbelievable, isn't he? <laughs> what a freak. I've just seen, I don't know if we'll get into Pog at some point, but I've seen his calendar. He's doing every race. He's just going to do something different this year. He's just going to do every single every race. Every race. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm looking for him to lift his game at the, at the Tour de France. Like, you know, last year, there was no actual discernible improvement on the previous year. You know, he won three stages and two jerseys. Well, he didn't win the green jersey. He needs to win the green jersey as well to move a step further up the food chain. On um, analysing what other teams are doing, I saw a, a response from Rowan when he was talking about why he went to Jumbo Visma this year. And it was, well, Ineos are just copying whatever Jumbo Visma are doing. So I joined the party. And there he was at, uh, at Road Nationals, TT, kicking things off for the year. Like you said, Keno, it doesn't yeah. get much better than getting wins on the board early. Just to take that little bit of uh, early season pressure off. Yeah, and for a guy like Rowan, who's always going to be under a lot of scrutiny, that's actually, that's really important, particularly after what happened with the way he departed at Bahrain Merida, as it was then known. Um, so for Rowan, that was really important. I actually, I asked him about the moment on the podium at Tokyo when there was Dumoulin, Roglic, and there was Rowan, and they were in the hot seat. And Roglic looked across to him, and he said, are you, you joining the team next year. He goes, yeah, I am. It was before any of the announcements had made. And then they, were, they all knew as they were going up on the podium and they were high five and knowing that they had the top three from the time trial at the, at the Olympics. But Rowan knows that environment and they know him. He actually rode with this team in 2011 when it was the Rabobank development team. And he spent just the one season there and he clashed with them a little bit. They clashed with him, but they know what they're getting. They understand Rowan Dennis. And when you create an environment that Rowan Dennis actually is comfortable in, he's one of the best athletes in the world. And another discussion that I had with him over in Adelaide, I spoke about the scrutiny that he does cop. I said, sometimes you probably feel like the world is against you, but is that sometimes self-inflicted as well? He said, yeah, sometimes it is partly my fault. Sometimes it's also a bit of a stacks on the mill. And it is easy to go stacks on the mill. But when that team goes to the Tour de France this year, Rowan Dennis is going to be a key part of that team for either Roglic or Jonas Vinegar to be able to beat Pogacar. He is going to have a huge season. Mm. How much does it take out of Ineos? They've obviously got some other issues going on at the moment, but to lose Ineos Rowan? They're not winning the tour. They are not winning the tour. Max, they're not winning. No, they're not winning much. I, I tuned in last night to the, the Valencia race and um, yeah. I know it's the first op, 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 opening day of racing, but Ineos were almost not present. Yeah. Um, I don't know where they are. I don't know who their leader is. Obviously, Egan has gone down to Carapaz. Look like it's all chips in for Carapaz everywhere now. Yeah. It, it just seems a little bit disjointed. Yeah, Carapaz is not winning the tour. He's not going to be able to go toe-to-toe with the, the... He might be able to finish third. It's a long way from third to first. And I don't think he can finish second. He's fantastic to watch. He's super entertaining. And Egan Bernal, I really like the comments from Chris Froome. Let's not worry about asking him when he's going to be back racing. Is he going to make a full recovery? Let's let's just hope that he gets healthy. Um, in the state of what we're hearing about the significance of his injuries, whether he gets back or racing or not at the moment, 
seems seems secondary. Let's just hope that he gets back and has a healthy life long term. And I think that's the most important focus for for Egan Bernal at the moment. I can't see him being back racing at an elite level this year. There's a pretty key fact in cycling media um, when they when when a crash does ha- happen, if it's under sort of a two month three month layoff, they normally name the recovery straight away. They yeah. say, oh, he misses the Tour de France, or he'll be back in a month, back in two months. With Egan, it hasn't even been mentioned. So, yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, you're thinking the worst. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I agree, Max. Yeah, and and Chris is Chris Froome's in a position to know because there's some similarities in the injuries for Bernal as what there was for Chris Froome. And when you go past the fact that Egan went through, like you, you see some, uh, I think it was one of his quotes on social media where it was like it was a 90, 95% chance of not even being able to walk or live again. Mm. Um, it's like, yeah. Once yeah. you get past that um, harsh reminder of how savage this sport can be and yeah. dangerous this sport can be, yeah, at and least it's... Ineos in a massive pickle. We are talking about this at the back end of last year, Max. Like Egan maybe can take it to those two, but without him, they've got a gaping hole in their calendar, which is normally their flagship race. Uh, and then how are they going to f- pick that up when they don't have – it doesn't look like Teo's kind of – going to get to that point where he's winning the Giro again and even if he does he doesn't have Roland to tell him to tell him to the finish line yeah, we love the idea of Ineos bringing three leaders and taking it to to Rog and Pog but if one of them can't actually match it with them yeah. two there's no point of bringing three leaders and exactly at the moment right. it looks like Yates Sivakov Gagenhart they all just seem a little bit um, just below par It'd be interesting if they bring all three or four and they can all fight yeah. for third and get a couple of mountain stage wins but yeah, They're I think Sivakov is what their best option over the next two years. I don't think he's going to be ready this year, but he's their best option over the over the next two years. And just touching on how dangerous the sport is, Amy Peters, you know, she's still she's still in a in a coma after a horrible train accident over a month ago now. So, and everybody's got their fingers crossed and hoping for all, all the best for her. And that sounds like a a horrible situation and far worse than the position that Egan Bernal finds himself in. And another stark reminder of how dangerous this sport is. Hmm. But Ineos have have gone and got Viviani, Alex. So you just never know. <laughs> Viviani. <laughs> you just never know. <laughs> throw, throw back the clock. <laughs> what? Uh, so if you're Dave Brailsford, what what are you what are you doing right now? What? How do how do you reshape this year, which you would assume one month ago was all around Egan Bernal winning the Tour de France? Yeah. So you're trying to find other races to win. I think you acknowledge that you can't win the Tour de France. So you're looking for another way to define success this year. And, and it might be that Sivakov targets the Giro or he targets the Vuelta. You aim for one of the, or Carapaz, he's won the Giro. He can win the Giro or he can win the Vuelta. I don't think he can win, win the Tour. You aim for one of those. You, you look for defining success around winning one of the monuments, winning some, winning something like Liège with the Carapaz. There's a lot riding on him at the moment. Um, you look for a different way of defining success. And what can Garant Thomas do? I don't think he can win the Tour again. He can certainly win some of the one-week races. He can win Paris-Nice. He can win the Dauphinate. He can win some of those events. And you look through to some of their younger guys and what they can build for the future. And Max, you know, as, as you know from your many years of experience in football, the, the year that you don't make the finals is built into making the finals the next year. So what do they do this year that sets them up for 2023? I think it shows a bigger team and a better team if you're able to shift the goalposts when something happens yeah um, for example if ben brown or tom mcdonald goes down we're not just going to keep playing as if ben brown and tom mcdonald are in the team we're going to shift the game plan to be able to suit what we have and at the moment egan's gone down so they got to they got to shift from tour to maybe tom pidcock doing some damage in the classics yeah so that's a that is spot on max you've just taken dave's job and, and you, you forget know, about Tom. You can easily can, forget about Tom, yeah, like the, can, mountain, can, the mountain bike cyclocross guy. Yeah. So you, can, Dave Burrows from Young County Superannuation, Max Gorn is stepping in. That's the way they redefine success this year. What do they do with Tom Pidcock? He is Ineos's answer to the Vans. He's yeah. up with Van Art and Vanderpool, and he can he can challenge for stage victories in any race he chooses to ride. He can win potentially one of the monuments, and he becomes Ineos excitement machine so outside of what they became famous for at team sky has been really robotic and they're an exciting team to watch because they're not the favorites they can take some risks and they can go on the charge in races and tom pidcock gets people excited and makes Ineos actually a crowd favorite rather than the team that most people are going oh how can this team get beaten 
And and he was always going to ride the classics anyway, but it's shifting yeah. the goalpost to take Krakowski, Luke Rowe, and Philip Garner to the classics to mm. help him out. Love it. I don't mind yeah. it at all, Max. Oh, I love it. That's great. Uh, we may as well keep going on the, the world tour before we get back to the topic of the podcast, the Australian National um, Summer. A uh, couple other races, Valencia, and um, they're racing in the UAE at the moment. Mm. Um, Caleb Ewan talking about early season form and getting early wins. Clocked a stage win where a team where his team looked like he delivered him in very good fashion for a team that somewhat struggled to get Caleb Ewan to the line. And then last night he was climbing in Milan San Remo form. He was flying up that last hill. Yeah. And the team's been heavily criticized too. There's been a lot of criticism of, you know, Lotto Sadal there. You know, they're floundering. They don't really have much to get excited about. They're pinning a lot on Caleb Bjorn. Like we saw at the tour last year, once Caleb Bjorn was out, it was it was all with Brent Van Moor and Harry Sweeney to try and get in the breakaways to get them some publicity. Um, Philip Gilbert has clearly passed his best, as brilliant as he has been. And Thomas DeGent is past his best as well, even though he's been absolutely brilliant. Those guys can still play a role. But that team is Caleb Bjorn. If Caleb Bjorn has a nasty crash and is, is out, that team's in serious trouble. But as long as he's in this sort of form and going the way he's going, he can absolutely win Milan San Remo. He's been second there twice. Both of them, if a few things went his way, he comfortably could have won. Uh, he is Lotto Sildal, absolutely. And it's a great start to the season. We've been quite critical of Lotto Sildal on here. Well, sorry, when I say we, me and Campbell have, Alex doesn't attack anyone that he's going to put a with. <laughs> Um, so and then, Caleb, that, that flows to the entire team. So yeah, obviously, obviously Caleb obviously. And Harry, uh, Alex seems to think he's friends with, so we can't touch Lotto Sadal. Oh, we're touching um, him. Yeah, but on Thomas again, to be fair, I've never seen someone make it as clear as mud that he hasn't got what it takes anymore. His tweets are hilarious. And he he's great. know that he can't keep up with the Peloton anymore, but they still pick him. <laughs> I, I love Thomas again. His honesty on his stuff on social media is just hilarious. Yeah. He is one of the, he is a must follow on social media. Correct. So it's it seems like if Caleb can continue that form which he's in and it's not that far away now, Milan San Remo, he just needs one guy to get to the top of the hill with him. Just yeah. one guy to be able to fix that awkward scenario that Keno you talked about. He's been twice. Um, yeah. Okay, two so times here's before. the challenge then for Lotto Sudal. The reason Philip Gilbert joined that team was so as he could complete his set of monuments. The one he's missing is Milan San Remo. The most important guy in that team for Caleb to win, Milan San Remo, is Philip Gilbert to get him to the top of the Poggio and protect him. Is Philip Gilbert, the guy who's won the four other monuments out of the five, prepared to lay it down and sacrifice everything for Caleb Ewan? No. <laughs> <laughs> I remember we had this chat with Caleb last year, Alex, and mm. we all take our minds back to Milan San Remo and Wellens, Degengold and Gilbert, Gilbert were all there but they were all co-leaders. They None of them were working together. It was the weirdest situation ever. Um, he needs one of those three. And to be fair, one of those three could all be there in the final climb in Milan-San Remo just to help him out. Yeah. Well, well, well he needs Wellens and Gilbert. Degen Cobb's left the team now, which is a good okay. thing for that structure. He's off at DSM. Wellens and Gilbert have to be told, Max. You get told what a role is for you to do on a team. Cycling is a team sport won by an individual. They're part of a team. They're paid by Lotto Sudal. They need to be told the best chance for this team to win is Caleb Bjorn. Look after him. Get him over the Poggio and he can win. Mm. Yep. Because he's just uh, otherwise just going to get in that same situation where they yeah. get to the bottom of the car they all prop up. And Alex, then... be warned. If they don't do that, Max and I and Campbell are coming on your show and we're teeing off. It's going to be the Lotto Sudal yeah. special. Fair, fair enough. Uh, Remco as well, uh, racing Valencia last night, just looking awfully Remco. Um, and giving yeah. giving Quickstep a nice little uh, win after a pretty rocky rocky six months uh, with their manager going a bit AWOL, um, the team changing sponsors, um, so nice to see Remco back in the in the limelight for the right reasons. Yeah, that I was, agree with that. That was a good stage to watch last night, if any of you guys watched it. Um, interesting to see Vlasov in different colours first, um, popping into second. Mm. But again, I'm, I'm hesitant to go at your boys, uh, Alex, but 
the the Mitchelton Jaco uh, team in the baby blue. I, I just mm. Michael Matthews has had a rough start already with a couple of times where there were suited stages for him earlier on in the in January and, and missed and. Last night, Damien Housen was the last one left in the group of 40 and he was the first one gone. I know it's early in the season, but the jury's out very early on our boys, Jaco. Yeah, and um, they've, all been a, they've all been doing attitude. Um, I know Lucas went back to Europe early to prep for this kind of stuff, so you, you'd expect them to be in um, some, some pretty good condition. Um, the other one too, at, in, in the stage one sprint against Caleb uh, Grunewag and their new recruit was... I think top twenty, maybe nowhere, uh, but near, it. nowhere near the. Um, it, well, it didn't really sprint, so yeah. that's going to be interesting to want to see how that played out. I know we talked about this one a bit last year, Max. He's still still yeah. feeling Grunewagen, but how does he get to a point where he's back in that mental state where he's willing to put put it on the line after all that he would have gone through, um, coming off the back of that awful crash that he caused uh, and the effect that he had on Jakobsen. I can already see the issue with the tour with Grunewag and Matthews and a couple of young aspiring climbers in the team. It's already got me puzzled. Yeah. 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 The team needs a, a serious refresh. Did Did you catch Jerry at Road Nationals, Keno? No, he was on the hill, um, but I was, you know, doing my thing. I didn't get a chance, chance to talk to him. I, you know, I'm not sure exactly how much influence he has. He employs people and he trusts them to do to do their job. Uh, if he was really unhappy, I'm pretty sure that if he picked up the phone, you know, when you, you pick up the phone and it's, you see someone's number, you, if you saw Jerry's number and you worked for the bike exchange team, I reckon you'd pick the phone up pretty quickly. Mm. Um, and you'd depend on whether you thought you were doing a good job or a bad job, you'd either be really, really nervous or really excited to get that call. Uh, I think they've got, you know, they've got some, I don't know, they're putting a lot of faith in Simon Yates. Michael Matthews didn't win a race for them last year. Dylan Grunewagen, I, I think he's a good signing. I think he can win some races. But the way they structure themselves at the Tour de France, I'm fascinated to see the way they do that because um, if Grunewagen can get a win in the first week, that might actually release the pressure valve and then Michael Matthews can maybe win a stage that's got a slight uphill sprint finish or get himself into a, a bit of a breakaway. Um, but, yeah, I'm struggling to see where their big results are going to come from this year. I saw him at a at a function post uh, post us winning the flag, mm. um, and all I wanted to do was talk cycling with him. I, didn't, I don't know, I don't know <laughs> if he ever thought that I was a cycling fan or whatnot, but and he just kept deflecting to either St Kilda's Premiership drought now or Melbourne Storm. He just didn't want to talk cycling at all. That's interesting. I just kept on trying to get cycling in the conversation. <laughs> he kept deflecting, so. Maybe he's not um, extremely proud of the team that he's got out there at the moment. I don't know. Not at the moment. So it reminds me, did you see the welcome to country at the – this is totally digression because these, these kids are just concerned that the bike the bike exchange team is their inheritance being evaporated. Yep. But the welcome to country before the test at, uh, at Sydney, it was amazing. So he's got the, the elder – he's gone through the whole welcome to country and it's all really formal. He's just letting those little gags drop in every now and then. And yeah. toward, at the end of it, he said – yeah, where there's a will, there's relatives. And then he just he picks it up again. He was brilliant. He was just <laughs> and all the cricketers are standing there and they're going, hang on a minute. But yeah, he was, <laughs> he was fantastic. Anyway, it just reminded me of that when it was it, Jerry's yeah. kids always complained that their inheritance is being spent. Yeah, that yeah, a, that team, it's it's messy. And from all reports, it's got a they've got a um since Shane Bannon left as the general manager, they've got a Euro-based and a Euro-flavor amongst their management style. Um, yeah. So it's gone away from that Aussie culture focus, um, huge team morale, so kind of putting a preference on Australian riders. Well, you can't see what the team stands for. Okay, so we know Wolfpack. We know what Quickstep stands for. Um, Alpacin Phoenix, we know what they stand for. They're a, they've got a cyclocross element to them. They're race winning. They're the underdog. They're dynamic. They've got Matthew Vanderpool. Yumbo Visma, we know that they're innovative. They're going for the grand tours. Ineos Grenadiers, they're scientific. We know what they, we know we can define most teams. We've got a bit of an idea of what they stand for. What does Bike Exchange stand for? How do you, how do you define them? Mm. I don't know. And, and that's back to the early days. That was clear. It was like such a strong culture. It was Aussie. It was team focused. It was, it was from the doco. We saw it was anarchy yeah. on the inside, but on yeah. the outside, they were working together so well. They all were putting it on the line for each other and it yielded good results from 
not clear superstars. They had a few real highlights in there, but there was results across the entire team. It was a moneyball um, team. Now it's kind yeah. of it, it's it feels yeah. lost. Israel startup nation, it's the superannuation for a lot of riders <laughs> over the age of 4 to 34. <laughs> yep. Uh, but that's good for Israel that have gone and gone Jakob full time just to change things up. Yes, yeah, they've yeah. gone to somebody that's under 40. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Happy to see them pick up Simon Clark, though, who's riding well. Um, Stana released a new rap just to dust that off. I watched the first 10 seconds and didn't get much further into it, unfortunately. Yeah, I made it about 20 seconds in. Yeah, right. Yeah. The, the, uncomfortable. The Vino show with his him in his suit just standing out the front of the, his team that he's got back. Yeah, no good. Max, if, if the D's asked you to do a rap, how would you what? feel about that? Uh, previous fan engagement stuff when I first got to the club was quite um, – was a lot. If you remember, there's a great vision of Rewald and Justin Kaczynski singing in the change rooms – um, in a St Kilda one. We've got some great Christmas ones where they've asked for us to sing, um, but that has stopped in the last five or six years, so that's good. So it seems like football is going away from that and cycling's gone back into it. Um, so I'm glad it's gone out of our sport. But no, no, to answer your question, Alex, I don't. one, I don't think I'll sing, two, I don't think I'll rap. Mm. Yeah, I think the best form of fan engagement is actually answering questions before and after races about the actual sport. Um, providing a bit of an insight into what happens in, before the before the race, you know, the preparation, bit of insight into training camps, that that's more valuable as fan engagement. What you're doing on the training track, the way the race was won or lost, way better than a than a rap song. I 100% agree. And my the biggest gripe I have with cycling is after the race when I'm buzzing about what just happened in a result, I just want to hear what each team was actually trying to do. Yeah. Because it's puzzling because a lot of teams, we even like we look at Movistar and go, is there even a game plan? But there probably is. So I'd love to actually. You reckon? Yeah, there has to be. (laughs) There has to be something going on in that Movistar bus. I can't wait for season three. Is that coming? Is that is that, is that getting released? Soon? It's gonna it's gonna be on. Yeah, I agree with you, Max. I reckon it should be compulsory that every every team needs to issue a statement live within ten minutes of a stage finish yeah. from inside the bus. So that's that's what we need. And you guys get interviewed coming off the ground. You guys get interviewed going off the ground at half time. That takes us a little bit further into it. There's, you know, you might not like it the roaming with Brian, but inside the change rooms, that's. Yeah. That's getting in, and that's where one of the fall downs for cycling is that the teams aren't part of the media rights deal. So yeah. maybe they would provide more access if they were part of the media rights deal. And that's then the, the trump card rights. they have is we have to. Yeah, have yeah, but it's better. You're, you're better served for it. Yeah, as a sport, you get paid more as a result. The and it comes back to your point before about how the teams positioned and felt. Um, Dan Jones made that a thing by yeah, almost. Almost providing the kind of um, the post-match, pre-match that you're talking about, Max, and took us inside the team and you actually knew what was going on every mm. stage that they were competing. And on top of that, um, articulating all the different personalities and how they interacted. And that was, I guess, as close as I've almost felt to a, a season-long following a team, being passionate about a team um, and actually wanting to watch cycling for, at the time, Green Edge. Could you, could you imagine roaming Stanley Street? Mm. I can see that happening. <laughs> yep. how, many, how many more, how many more uh, football seasons you got in your max? Uh, I'm starting, believe it or not, uh, starting uh, a four-year contract currently. Beauty. How many? What year number is this? Uh, this is my 13th. Wow. So your career as a teenager. Yeah. So That's um, pretty cool, man. It's been a long That's, time. Yeah, what's the on. average career? It's only be like two or three years, wouldn't it? Yeah, it's around that two or three year mark. Yeah, um, because your rookie, first contract, doesn't your first contract when you get recruited, it has to be two years? Yeah, and rookies get one. And then yeah. a lot of people do tend to get an extra one, even if they've done nothing in their first two. So it's in around that three, that three mark. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, it's been a long time. And now I, four years gets me to 17 years. So How many games have you played? No, that's the one I'm, I'm, I'm not as good at. Because um, of injury? Yeah, 160-ish. But I wouldn't change a thing, Keener. Yeah. I'm very happy with the way yeah. I got brought up. I had to do 
two knee Ricos. I'd just sit there and watch Mark Jamar um, dominate in the ruck and wait for my time and try and beat my him to his position. Yeah, and that all aids to the person I am now. Um, yeah. so I wouldn't change it, but it's awesome. Not going to get to, to three hundred, unfortunately. Yeah, fantastic, mate. If um if Max and I wanted to go to the tour Kino and yeah. do a roaming Stanley Street, like, is it actually possible? Say we were working for SBS, like, could mm-hmm. you actually do it, or would it be that hard to? Yeah, you could do it. With the work with the. I reckon the Melbourne members might have a thing to say about it over the next four years, at the very least. But yeah, you could do it. You can definitely do it. Like, could like so? Is it? Is You'd it have the, to negotiate with the teams. It's it's getting access to the teams that's the challenge. Yeah. yeah, and this is this is the issue with the way cycling is structured financially. As Max said before, the reason they get access into the club rooms is because it's they they're obliged to. It's part of the deal. It's part of the TV rights deal. Whereas the teams, they're not cut in on the TV rights deal for the bike races. Mm. But if they were, then you could, if I'm the race organizer, I can say, okay, well, we're paying you this much as part of the TV rights or part of the media rights. As a result of that, these rights holders have this access for you to get that cash. And that's going to help us grow this pool and make it even bigger for the next time that we negotiate those deals. But if I'm, if I'm map and I'm sponsoring a team, I'd rather them, I'd rather see my presence in a post-match preference and an early morning breakaway. I yeah. dare say maybe the early morning breakaway gets a fair bit of coverage for the French locals, but I I would love to see them in post matches saying something that's going to get recorded on every news station um, yeah. around that, Europe. That, that stuff is that's the thing the replay Max yeah. that stuff gets replayed whereas being in the early breakaway doesn't get replayed that's on once yeah. whereas if you've got some sort of insight you've got a sound bite. It gets replayed, it gets sent out on social media, it gets picked up on the news. That's where you get return on investment. There is a spot for us, I think, over in the tour, Alex. I don't, I, I'm presuming Keno can't mention, but I think Robbie's not there anymore. So it could be me or you, Alex. <laughs> it could be Max. Yeah. You can come and join me. Just, just Keno in the box all day and me and you rolling around France trying to pick up our post race interviews. Correct. I think, right, I think there's some, I think there's something in that. Yeah, definitely. Four years' time, Max. Yeah. Keep the seat warm for you. Thank you. Um, anything else on the world scale before we come back to Australia? Valverde is still winning at 41 years of age. No. I, I thought he was, I swear I read somewhere that he's given it up. Yeah, the, he's reti- he announced his retirement at the end of the season. Uh, okay, Just so we're doing, a, the year. we're doing a John, we're doing a John Farnham. Yeah, that's okay. it's right. That's right. The, the so every, amazes- every race will be Valverde's last race. That's going to be great. <laughs> The bit that amazes me, though, is like he's still winning. Like he's still got the um, motivation to do the That's the full, key. The full yeah. off-season, come back. It's like watching Rafa win his 21st slam. Like I just can't fathom going, you know what, 20 isn't enough. I'm going to work my ass off to get to yeah. the top, top, top of the sport uh, and win another race or win another the, slam. It's unbelievable. The motivation is what is astounding. To maintain that level of discipline for that long, that motivation, that desire to race and keep pushing yourself is exceptional. I am going to be the devil's advocate here just slightly. Mm. Yeah. At 41, and I get he's still winning, but he's he's hurting mass at the Tour de France, in my opinion. At 41, if I was still playing football and there was a young ruck and they were picking me because of, because of my name and my stature, I think it's a bigger person to get up and leave as well. Um I'm not sure. How old was Dustin Fletcher when he retired? 40? The difference with Dustin Fletcher is he had nothing coming from un- un- underneath as well. Oh, because he played for Essendon. <laughs> <laughs> but the little bit of me says Enric Mass won't win a thing until, until Valverde's not, not there. Okay, so the one thing that Valverde has done this year has said that he's not going to ride the tour. Okay, that's good. So he's going to ride the Giro and he's going to ride the Volta. So he is leaving that alone for Enric Mass. And I still don't think Enric's going to win. Yeah, and 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 Mark Soler and Lopez aren't there, so Enric Mass has a full team. Is that what you're telling me? Apparently, wow. let's see who pops up. Let's watch this space. <laughs> That'd be a bore in season four. Netflix. Yeah, that's right. They're not going to make one. <laughs> Netflix is candid. Now you find a new squad. Yeah. Uh, the Aussie Summer Max, you tune in. Road Nats, T to you. Tuned into a little bit, and I must say, just to start off on our on our Mitchelton Scott wagon, um, they can't even dominate the Australian summer. Yeah, they didn't have many cards to play with, not on the Correct. men's side. But they, on the women's side, I thought at the race in Adelaide, Ruby Roseman Gannon was sensational. Yeah. So she came in 
stepping up for the first time to world tour level, huge expectations. And, and she delivered from the start of the year. She won Bay Crits. She won the Criterium title. She didn't win the road race at the Nationals. She was clearly outnumbered by a really smart rock salt. She then, you know, she had two second places and won a stage at the Santos Festival of Cycling. Then she let out her teammate to win the Criterium there as well. Yep. She, she is a superstar ready to burst onto the world stage. So she was a real highlight for me. And she's the best signing that Bike Exchange have made in the last two years on either the men's team or the women's team. All, all my eyes were on was Jimmy Whelan and Plappy. They seem to be yeah. the two that majority of Australian cycling spectators are really excited about. Yeah. Um, Jimmy Whelan was actually at the wedding that I went to. The oh, one, was he? Yeah, the one where everyone got COVID. <laughs> um, and luckily enough, not him. Because I'm presuming he didn't, because he seems to be in tip-top shape. Yeah. Um, we I once again tried to talk cycling, didn't want to bar of it. Cycling stuff <laughs> by talking cycling out of out of practice. Well, you come to my uh, place for dinner. So we were But the two of them are incredibly exciting to watch, and I can't wait to see what Plappy does um, yeah. over on the European summer as well. Oh, he's one of the exciting things to happen in Ineos, and that's part of. I think this season is about guys like Platt, Pidcock, the young young riders coming through. As for Jimmy Whelan, he was fantastic at the national championships. The silver medal was really good. I was rapt to see him win the Santos Festival of Cycling, but I don't think it's going to be enough for him to get a contract back in the World Tour. You don't reckon? No. Nah. He needed to be able to stay with Luke Plapp on Wollonga Hill. If he stayed with Luke Plapp on Wollonga Hill, he may hope. But he's 25, and unfortunately, Pogacar has changed the dynamic. I mean, he's still eligible for the under-23 Worlds, and he's won the Tour de France two times. Yep. So teams now are looking at the under-19s in the same way they used to look at the under-23s. So unfortunately for Jimmy Whelan, it's going to be tough for him to get back in. He might. What he should do, in addition to whatever racing he's doing with Team Bridge Lane, why not take part in the Zwift Academy? Try and get in there the same way Jay Vine did because Jay Vine got into Alpacin Phoenix at 25 years of age. Give it another – try every avenue you can. He's absolutely good enough. He just – he was unlucky the last two years. Um, but I think if he had a stuck with, with Luke Plapp on Molunga Hill, that would have spoken more to the World Tour teams than the fact that he won the race overall. Do they, do they tune in, the big yeah, European oh, yeah. fans? Oh, do, yeah. they watch, do they watch Molunga? Oh, 100%. That's how Luke Plapp – his phone at the end of the stage last year – his phone actually blew up. Yeah. There were that many World Tour teams trying to contact him. Inclu Richie was getting messages from Ineos Grenadiers as he was just gone across the finish line, wanting to see what the deal was with Luke Plapp, <laughs> how he rode up that hill. They weren't congratulating Richie at all for his ride. They're like, <laughs> no, who, who was that kid behind you clapping, going no hands, and everybody else was you know, on, on, absolutely on the limit. From uh, from what I've heard, like the GCN Pass Max has introduced all of the races to the Euros. So like they can, the Roadnats was on the GCN pass. So you oh, can okay. actually yeah. watch a lot more of the racing. Well, it's actually easier to watch it in Europe than it was in Australia. Yeah. The, um, and so Jimmy was saying after Roadnats, yeah, you got a, fa a fair few messages because people were actually watching the race. Yeah. I, yeah. I think it's almost enough though, because of, I, what I did, hope it is because of what he <laughs> did at TDU. So I think the Roadnats, um, if you watch the race and talking to Andrew Christie Johnson, his team manager afterwards, Jimmy just got way too excited. He's in everything yeah. and it's understandable. He got flicked from his team. He had a massive summer of training with yeah. it, probably in a, a weird headspace going, oh, geez, I got flicked. I need a new job. I need to do it this year. Got way too excited. Roadnats did way too much work. And unfortunately for, um, for Jimmy, Luke Plapp was able to play the smarter race card. Yeah. But then to win the way that he did at stage one at TDU, assuming the Euros are still watching TDU, um, that, that was unreal. Been. Like a hard group to get in, made the right split, and then went from the split to win solo. I think I think that's a that's at least a world tour conversation card for his agent to take to world tour teams early in the year. Who's his agent? Uh, I think he's with Drees. Okay. management. Yeah, and Andrew Christie Johnson is the right guy to help him get there, right? I think he's good enough and I think he should be in the world tour. Mm. But but I'm not convinced that those two performances are going to get him back in there. I think he's going to need to do more than that this year and I'm not sure what program Bridge Lane are going to provide him to enable him to do that just because of the way the dynamics have changed with a whole bunch of guys in their early 20s, like the Pog, like Remco of Enipal and so on, those guys at 21, 22 winning big world tour races and he's 25. 
The yeah, bit so, where, so, yeah, the, I guess the role that I find interesting for him is obviously you want to roll in the European races, but like for a for a bike exchange, if they still want to win the Australian Summer, why wouldn't you have a guy like him that can actually be present in the race? Obviously, Derby did a heap of work. Kamai was there a little bit, but if you've got a guy like that and actually structure your season to like, all right, we know you're not going to be flying in August, but if if you're going to get yeah. us some race wins in Jan, all right, then- okay. So your your bike exchange, right? You've got two two Aussies that you can sign on the back of what you've seen in the last month. You're gonna sign Blake Quick or you're gonna sign James Whelan. Mm. I'm signing Blake Quick. He's mm. he's 20, 21 years of age. Uh, sure he, he won the under 23 race as a sprinter around Bunningong, but he's a sprinter around Bunningong. He pantsed everybody in the criterium, he pantsed everybody on stage two. He's super fast. Uh, he's dynamic. He, he's, I'd be signing Blake quick. He is. He was the revelation of the summer. He won a junior world title in the Madison with Luke Platt. He's got the hunger. He has all the elements required to make it in the pro peloton. He's got sharp elbows, which are required for a sprinter. He knows how to look after himself. If I'm choosing between those two guys out of what I've seen in the last month, I'm choosing Blake quick. Mm. But to win in the Oz summer, I think Blake quick. I think Blake quick's got more upside. There's more. Yeah. There's more at the there other you end. Go. But, so you're signing him too, then. You're great. But I'm not. Me. But I'm not signing him because we're here to win the Oz Summer, and I think Jimmy Whelan's got the more level head on him. That's going to be able to show up every summer in the right kind of condition that he needs to be to be able to win, and then do a program to the Giro, and then you know what? That's kind of that's kind of his year done. But I think Blake Quick, as you showed at TDU, especially, um, he's got some pretty big upside if he can, yeah, take that to the World Tour. And from a marketing perspective, Max, he's such an easy call. Like, what a name, Blake Quick. I mean, is Quick really his name as a sprinter? Oh, that's just too good to be true. I'm sensing a little bit of ageism coming from you as well, Tina. Just picking picking the young guys in that sport, isn't it? No, that's it's not. It's hey, mate, I've just celebrated my 47th birthday. It's not. It's it's what I'm seeing that is happening within the sport. Yeah, and I'm even looking at teams on the domestic circuit, ARA, Inform, those teams they're looking more at the under-19 category now than they are at the under-23 category because of what's happened with guys like Remco and, and Pogacar, because of them winning so young. Um, they're looking to recruit athletes younger than what they have in the past. And I don't necessarily think that that's correct yeah. because everybody has a different timeline. You know, that you, you would have seen this yourself many times over with players that were stars at 20 and somebody that was on the fringe at 20 that by the time they're both 25 the one that was on the fringe is a better player. I think teams will get in trouble if they're chasing the Pog and Rog the whole time, though. Yeah, they will. Chasing their Tadej Pogger car, waiting for this 22-year-old to come light up their program. Yep. Um, you got to be careful not to let the Whelans fall in the gaps because there's a chance that he might be able to add something to the team as well. So I see both point of views. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, you're making a really good point. And I do say majority of um, domestics and good domestics are the more experienced uh, riders as well. So Whelan could slip into something like that in the Giro quite easily. Yeah, and that's what he he needs to somehow sell to a team that he can add value to a team without winning races. Yep. And that's where a guy like Brendan Canty fell down. Whereas Brendan Canty is, had the physical talent more so than a number of Aussies that have ended up having an eight, 10-year pro career. But he couldn't work out quickly enough how he could add value to the team without winning. He kind of raced the way, the only way I can add value to this team is if I win myself rather than how do I add value to the team by helping somebody else win? He just, because he came into the sport late, he didn't come through the junior ranks quite understanding the culture of, of the sport. Um, and to prove your point, Max, and to go against what I've just said, look at Roglic. He didn't ride his first race until he was 21 years of age. And that was, that was a Grand Fondo on a mountain bike wearing an FDJ suit. Like, you know, so yeah, you don't want to let a Jim, Jimmy Whelan slip through your fingers, but you know, I think that he's still got the task ahead of him to get back in. And I hope, I hope he does. I think if we look at the, the world tour Australians that are competing other than the top of the top, the guys that win races for us like Caleb and Richie and, and Michael Matthews, if you look at the guys that have been most successful, it is it is some of these guys like a Harry Sweeney, um, yeah. like a Luke Durbridge, like a Damien Housen that really just put all they can on the bike every single time. There's these, like the Australian culture used to be in cycling, just these fighting Aussie spirit. Um, there's definitely room for that 
uh, with any odds. You're not saying that this yeah. uh, Blake Quick doesn't have it as well, though. Yeah, no. But Blake Quick has the winning. He has more that I can I can be a winner. Jimmy Whelan can have a career kind of like Damien Housen, in my view, if he gets given another opportunity. Yep. I think, too, the, the other big piece, just thinking about what I took from the Aussie summer, was how good the racing was. Even though there was a few pros scattered in there, it was pretty much an NRS field, the majority of the group, mm. and how good the racing was. Um, it, it comes back to that point that we were talking about before about the TV rights and how cycling structured and the frustrating race program like why why isn't there a an australian cycling calendar that puts those kind of races on four five six times a year that we can actually see and consume because it's good racing it's top-notch stuff the broad the broadcast is really expensive and no one's prepared to pay for it the race organizer has to pay for it Uh, there's no tv network that's going to cough up the money even to cover the costs let alone to actually pay money to get the broadcast so the person who's putting on the race they're taking yeah they've got to find the sponsors they've got to cover the cost of the road closures or the the police and they've got to pay for the cost of the actual broadcast and covering a bike race is a lot more expensive than it is to cover a football match or a tennis game or a basketball game where you can use some fixed cameras and and you've got motorbikes out there you've got links that are having to send images back it's an expensive sport to cover I do agree on the part of the, how good the Australian summer was to watch. And especially in the last couple of years, I know COVID's cooked it uh, in the last couple of years, but I like the fact that it's Australian teams and, and, and mm. lots of Australians and the internationals aren't coming anymore. I remember the times where Sagan used to come down and just not even ride to 70% of his ability and sort of took the piss out of the Australian summer. Now it's all these, just, these guys going hell for leather. Um, trying to make a name for themselves. So I kind of like that, but I think we do miss an international presence as well. Yeah. So if it's the Cadell race that normally brought an international presence for that one-day race that's gone missing the last couple of years, if that's the international one, and then TDU, we just stick to these Australian teams just going hell for ever up Wollonga. Like that, 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 that's pretty cool to watch. Oh, I was wondering, the, the quality of the racing has actually been more entertaining than World Tour racing because uh, maybe because I like seeing the young athletes coming through on that neck and the, the national road series teams and seeing them try and prove themselves against the half a dozen world tour Australians that are in the race. But world tour racing is actually quite predictable because the, there's so much depth and there's not a big gap between the strongest rider and the weakest rider. The break goes up the road, few teams get on the front, they control it, they bring them back and they sort it out at the finish. But with the national road series races, because there's more disparities between the strongest teams and the weakest teams, there's more vulnerability in the racing. It's less predictable. One of the best moments for me was actually in the women's race on the third stage. And it spoke to the depth of cycling now within Australia is the break went up the road. Ruby Roseman Gannon was in it. She had Georgia Baker with her as her teammate. Uh, so Ruby was in the leader's jersey. She had Nicole Frayne was in the group as having just recently won the Australian national road title. And Georgia Howe was there. She'd been fourth in the time trial at the national championships. They got up the road and they were 30 seconds ahead. Five years ago, race over. And we're in for a boring day with four riders swapping off at the front. But there was two NRS teams that missed the move. They got on the front, they closed it down. It was race back on and it was a really entertaining day because the, the quality of the racing, the depth has improved significantly, but there was also enough gaps in the talent for it to be really vulnerable. It was a really good day. So you reckon we stop paying Peter Sag at his 200K appearance fee to come down to Australian summer and just start investing in these young Australians to to put a better spectacle on TV? Uh, we, we, the Tour Down Under will return to World Tour. Yep. We use the Jayco Herald Sun Tour as that event. Yep. We use that one as that event. And we try and get a couple of, we try and keep maybe three or four World Tour teams. So as a bridge lane informed, those teams can say, let's, let's see how we go against a full World Tour team instead of a couple of World Tour riders scattered amongst other teams. And then after that, for the rest of the year through the NRS, got to find some cash to put keep that series going, keep it on TV. Yeah, and actually have a have a series that isn't one race this month, two month gap, and then another race, and then two races, and then a month's gap, and not, have the series so it is, you know, you can tell the story and have it condensed within a four, five, or six month period, but have a, it regular, you know, race every two weeks or whatever it may be. So you can have some continuity in telling that story about the series. And ro- roaming Stanley Street at the end of it. Roaming Stanley Street. Imagine if Puppy had a full Ineos team down here with him. He <laughs> 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 would have, would have no. been no doubt in the result. Yeah. That, yeah. 
Yeah, uh, it may not have been as entertaining. One one last thing, Kino. This sad announcement that Robbie pushed out on his Twitter after the road nats. Yeah. As I think I'm speaking on Max's behalf too, as Kino and Robbie fans, are we going to see you two commentating together this year? Well, we commentated together on the Santos Festival of Cycling on, on Channel 7. And, um, you know, Robbie and I had an absolute ball commentating together. And Robbie's a, a friend of mine. I work for SBS and I love working for, for SBS. But it was interesting watching the tennis with the Ash Barty match. She rated 3.5 million. And then the Nadal match rated 2 million. And the commentators were the same. The key to successful broadcast is actually the athletes. So I... Picture the broadcast, it's kind of like a cake. The athletes are the cake and us as commentators, we're just the icing sugar on the top. You can have a really good cake without any of the icing sugar, but you can't have the icing sugar without the cake. So if we've got Aussies performing really well at the Tour de France, we'll have great numbers in viewers. If we don't have Aussies performing well at the Tour de France, the numbers might be down ever so slightly. And just like any cake, if you put too much icing sugar on it, you ruin the cake. So... Um, you know, I think that the athletes are absolutely the star and, you know, I love being able to be part of the broadcast and I'm looking forward to still being part of it in the future. Jeez, he's gone very safe mm. and political on us, Alex. Vote one, Matthew Keenan. <laughs> I, I, didn't, I didn't expect to get much from that one, but had to put walk, it out there. Um, you know, what can I say? I've, and I'm, one what? of my favourite moments in commentary was, was with Robbie calling the Matthew Heyman win at Paris-Roubaix. Mm. That was fun. Oh, yeah. It doesn't get much better. And I can't imagine the amount of views that that video has had of you two climbing up the walls of that commentary box uh, as oh. Heyman went into that into the yeah. velodrome. And I've still got a sore shoulder from where he punched me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Can you see yourself doing commentary in football when you retire, Max? Uh, I don't necessarily love the sport that I'm in. I love playing it. Um, I like your analogy of the cake and the icing. Um, I yeah. feel like footy might have a little bit too much icing on it. Um, yeah, okay. Some strong personalities in football commentary. Yeah. Um, that makes it hard to watch at times and I fall in and in and out of love of the game, uh, but I love playing it. So it's, it's an interesting one. I'm not sure. I love I love the media world. I love everything else to do with radio and TV, but I'm not necessarily sure if footy is where I love, but I understand that people only like listening to me because of my football uh, aspect as well. So it's going to be hard to, to venture out. But into it gives it. you, yeah, your football profile gives you the platform to, to do other stuff as well. You do a bit of stuff on, is it RSN? You do some stuff on there? Yeah, RSN and Nova, I do um, some weekly stuff, um, which, I, which, I, which I love doing. But again, that's talking about football. Um, but Which, that can branch into more social commentary as well. I can imagine correct. you want to on talkback. It can, it can, and uh, there's great examples of cross sport commentary. I mean, Luke Darcy commentated the Olympics, and I doubt Luke yeah, Darcy has any idea of any of the Olympic sports until he got the job. Yeah. Um, so I'm sure, I'm sure there's different avenues that open up. Yeah, um, but yeah, that's still a little bit away, Kino. Yeah, we've got as, another as four a, years at least. Yeah, as the wine bar going, Max, is there a new? A new one popping up on Glenferry Road soon? New one, uh, a new headquarters for Stanley Street Social uh, soon uh, in April, I think, up near Rococo on Glenferry Road. Beautiful. But the wine bar's going well, the current one. Uh, East End Wine Bar, uh, we've we've done a couple of pods from there. Kino yet to show his face, hopefully soon. Well, you know why? Yeah. I haven't been invited. Uh, Yeah, I forgot about that. Uh, with with with, Cam- <laughs> with Campbell down in Hobart and his busy golf schedule, I reckon Keno might get a few invites this year. Yeah. Um, a big thanks to to our sponsors. I'll talk about these at the top of the show a little bit, but the TAC back with the um, that important message: the road belongs to us all. Uh, a couple of examples in cycling over the last couple of months of how dangerous the sport is. Um, so you do need to look after yourself out there. Map uh, initial podcast sponsors the lifeblood of this podcast. They're back and they've just released their new 100% collaboration sunglasses um, and a new partnership that we're kicking off this year with the Ride High Country. Um, some of the best training you'll get in Victoria. We, we ran a comp with them last year because they didn't think anyone that started riding uh, on the boulevard or beach road was a real cyclist. So uh, Keno might be able to attest to that, but it is genuine training up there and some of the best riding you can do in Victoria and arguably Australia. Oh, it's oh, the best. best. Love it. Best moment of my cycling career was when Keno passed me up, up Buffalo. It was beautiful, still, wasn't it? Still a highlight of my career. 
Yeah. I stopped breathing for about 30 seconds to pretend that I was doing it easy. Then I was 192 <laughs> beats a minute around the next corner. <laughs> Brenton Jones put on a show that day. Oh, I sat his wheel the whole way and he's a sprinter and I only just held on. I think the young guy most... Most common phrase, that whole climb, just drop it by about five watts. Thanks, mate. <laughs> uh, so what's so what's what's coming up? We've got UAE to uh, then a couple of one days to start us off in the in the one day season. Yeah, yep. exactly. Then we're yep. getting into the thick of it. Yeah, not, not too far away, starting the Belgium season. What starts us? Russell, Russell starts us? I'm pretty sure. Uh, what was that? I missed that. What, what, what starts us off? Is it Kearney, Brussels Kearney? I'm pretty sure. Uh, Umlup, Het Newsblad. Umlup. Yeah, and the following day is Colonel Brussels Kerner. And UAE tour is the real first one for the for the sprinters. Yep. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to Paris Nice at the start of March. I love that race. Awesome. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Max. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Tanks. Go Blues. <laughs>